Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of Nehemiah, looking at Nehemiah chapter 2. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad, when the city, the place of my father's graves, lie in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gate of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. And the king had sent me with the officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Honorite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone would come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble you are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Honorite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? 
Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. In this chapter, we read about all of the preparations that Nehemiah needed to make his long journey back to Jerusalem. He needed to get permission from the king. He needed to secure the resources that would be necessary to rebuild the city and its walls, and he needed permission to travel that long distance without being stopped by the different governors of the different provinces along the way. This is a journey that would have taken Nehemiah about four months and would have covered about 900 miles. As we get to the end of the chapter, Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem and describes what he sees. He also has an encounter with a man named Sanballat. He will prove to be Nehemiah's antagonist throughout the story. Interestingly, this governor of the province of Samaria seems to be a worshiper of the same God as Nehemiah. We know from history the names of his sons, Delaiah and Shemaliah. Each of those names incorporate the proper name of God, Yahweh. The first means Yahweh has delivered, and the second means Yahweh has repaid. It would be strange for Sanballat to give his sons those names if he didn't believe in the God Yahweh. But we also see he is not interested in the province of Judah being built up. He may see it as a threat to his own power, or it may be keeping him from achieving something he wanted for himself. But either way, he wants to make sure that Nehemiah fails. So Nehemiah lets us know that his initial inspections of the wall and the city happen at night when no one can see what he's doing, because he tells us he has not yet told anyone what the Lord has placed on his heart. That's a phrase that we often hear in our time, and sometimes it's overused, sometimes it's misused. But one thing we know from Nehemiah is that when he uses this, he's not using it as an excuse to do whatever he wants to do. That phrase does carry with it the idea of being very passionate about whatever's being discussed. But very often when we use it, we're excited about things without any regard to whether or not God actually wants us to do them. Because we want to do them so desperately, we cry out to God and ask him to help us with it or make it happen, and we will tell people that the Lord has placed that on our hearts. We have to be careful because when Nehemiah uses this phrase and when similar phrases are used in Scripture, they are talking about the thing that they most want to do, the thing they are most passionate about, but it is the thing that they develop passion about as they're open to God's leading. As they have come to understand what God wants done, they become passionate about the Lord's work and want to join him in it. Nehemiah mentioned several times the hand of God being on him as he makes this journey. As he sees doors open, he knows that it's God because it's consistent with what God has called him to do, which means he has to be very aware of God's working. He knows what God's desire is, and he knows the opportunity that he has to join God in that work. Remember, he was living in luxury in Persia. He hadn't given a whole lot of thought about rebuilding Jerusalem. Ezra had gone back to do that. Everything was going to be fine. He didn't need to worry himself about that. He could stay where he was. But then he was led by God. But what he did know was that there were certain things God wanted done. God wanted Jerusalem to 
be his home. God wanted Jerusalem to be a shining light to the nations, and that wasn't happening. And since others had tried and failed, he became passionate about it and wanted to be a part of God's work. He was aware of the work that God wanted done and was willing to join that. When we see people who are in need of food, clothing, or shelter, we know that God wants them to have the things that he's promised them. When we see people doing without, are we willing to join in? Do we become passionate about doing the things God wants done? Are we aware of the work of God? But Nehemiah was also committed to glorifying God. This idea of God placing something on his heart was not so that he could be elevated, that people would notice him and what he was doing. It was so that God's work could be done and he could receive the glory for taking down all the obstacles and barriers so that he would receive the glory for the success. But because Nehemiah knew that it was God at work and he was passionate about joining him, his level of conviction enabled him to get others involved. He makes a speech and others rally around him when they had given up in other times. So when we become passionate about doing the Lord's work, we're aware that it is exactly the kinds of things that he has revealed that he wants us to be involved in. And we're committed to him receiving the glory through it. How do we go about fulfilling our heart's desire? Paul uses a phrase like that in Romans 10 verse 1. He says, brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that they, the Jews, may be saved. How do we go about filling our heart's desire. Well, there seems to be two things that Nehemiah does in this chapter that may be instructive for us. First is counting the cost, figuring out if he was actually going to be able to do what he was passionate about doing. He had to talk with the king and make sure that he could get the permission to do it. He had to get permission from the king for the resources that would be needed to complete the work. He needed to raise an army and a group of people to actually do the work and to protect them while they did the work. All of these things had to happen. So Nehemiah took the time to figure it out and make sure that the feat could be accomplished. It puts me in mind of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 28. He said, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he is enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Jesus is talking there about the cost of discipleship. Are we willing to pay whatever it costs to follow him? God does call us to do his work and be passionate about his work, but sometimes that work may send us to places we're uncomfortable or places we're not wanted. It may send us to places we had not imagined. It may cause us to be involved with people that we don't normally associate with. But they're people that God wants to show love and mercy, that God wants to redeem, and he wants to use his children as a part of that process. Before Jesus gave these illustrations of counting the cost, he had said, if anyone comes to me, 
or does not hate his own father or mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If we are passionate about the Lord's work, are we willing to forsake everything else to see that it's accomplished? Nehemiah was, and that's why we see the wall in Jerusalem be rebuilt. He left his luxurious accommodations in Persia. Evidently, he left his own family behind so that he could do God's work. That's the level of commitment that God has called us to. If God has placed a task on our hearts, and we know without a doubt that it's the kind of thing that God wants us doing, and we become passionate about it, we have to be willing to make any sacrifice necessary to see it come to completion. So we have to count the cost, but we also have to be willing to plan. We see all of the planning that Nehemiah does to make sure that he can accomplish his goal. There are several passages in the Bible that talk to us about planning. First of all, Proverbs 16, verse 3 says, Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. That word commit literally means to roll or flow. So Proverbs is not telling us that we can make our own plans and God's going to make sure that we succeed. It's telling us that if our actions flow with or roll with the Lord, those plans will come to pass. They will happen. They will be established. James chapter 4, verses 14 and 15 says, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. James is basically saying the same thing that we heard in Proverbs, that if we align our planning with what God wants done, when we're making plans to do the things that God wants accomplished, we'll always succeed. And Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. Sheol is a Hebrew word that means grave. There is no activity, not intellectual or physical, in the grave. So you need to make the most of the time you have to work here. God has called us to do his work, and we won't have time to do that after we've died. We need to make the most of the time here and plan to do it well. All of this story puts me in mind of Jesus when he was 12, and he was left behind at the temple, and he was amazing the teachers of the law at 12 years old, but his parents were upset that he wasn't with them. They went back to the temple and got him and scolded him, and he reminded them that he had to be about his father's business. That's what Nehemiah is doing here. He's being about his father's business. And a couple of things that we can learn from this chapter is that God will accomplish his work whether we join him or not. If Nehemiah had not decided to undertake this job, God could still do what he wanted done. There were people who had attempted this ahead of Nehemiah that had failed because they had given up. It seemed to be too hard, too difficult for them, more than they wanted to commit. But God still accomplished his work whether or not anyone else joined him. Sanballat had the chance to join, but he chose not to. 
Rather, he mocked them and made accusations. And so Nehemiah told them that you would have no portion among the people of Israel. Because of that, Sanballat tries to actively sabotage Nehemiah's activity. But we'll also see in this story that God will accomplish his work even if we oppose him. Jesus in his ministry lets us know that our work is to be a light to the world, to be a conduit of God's grace and mercy by taking care of the hungry and the naked and the sick and the imprisoned, any of those that are marginalized and need help getting through life and finding God. We're told in Scripture that we should take care of the widows and orphans, and we can go on and on about the people that we've been called to reach out to and help, either physically or spiritually or both. God will accomplish that work whether we join Him or not. But sadly, many of us are actually working against God. We don't think we are. We'd like to think we're on God's team. Sanballat seems to have thought the same thing. He was a worshiper of God, and he seemed to think he may be doing God's bidding by keeping Nehemiah away from Jerusalem. But even if we oppose God, God's work will be accomplished. So if God's work is going to be accomplished in any circumstance— The choice we have to make is that when it's finished, will we be standing with it? Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.